0: Hello everyone, I'm Shane Brennan and I'm the Chief Executive of the Cold Chain Federation and this is the Cold Chain podcast. I hope you've enjoyed recent episodes, especially our special edition about COVID-19 and the global cold chain. If you're enjoying the content, then please take the time to leave us a review because that will help others to find us and make sure you subscribe. The way, that way you'll never miss an episode. I'm really pleased to bring you insight from today's guest. Nick Hay is now in his 10th year as Chief Executive of Fowler Welsh. If you're listening to this, I'm sure you know Fowler Welsh as a business, but just in case, it's one of the largest third-party logistics companies in the UK, Cold Chain, operating a large fleet from eight depots across the UK, serving retailers and manufacturers with chill, deep chill and ambient services. Nick has delivered continuous improvement throughout that time, not just commercially, but also in the sustainability and social impact of the business. There's no mean feat working within what is probably the fastest moving and most competitive part of the Cold Chain, so I think I'll get straight into it. Good morning, Nick.
1: Morning, Shane. Morning.
0: Um, There's so much I want to cover with you, but I'm sure we won't have time to cover even half of what we could. But perhaps we could start with the immediate present. How are you and the team coping right now with keeping food supplies flowing in a time of global lockdown and the COVID-19 crisis?
1: Um, I think right now is very different from how it was, what, eight weeks ago now. Um, I think it's been quite a journey. Um, We had two weeks of unprecedented volume. And um, uh, I think an awful lot of the country went into into panic mode, uh, and that that was panic buying right the way through to um, businesses like ours wondering how we we're going to sustain the the level of activity um, in the long term. And I think initially we were probably a little naive. Um, we were, we rolled out our, our business interruption plans uh, very very quickly and. Uh, the team did a fantastic job of responding. Um, indeed, there was one week in March where we, some sites that, that the largest variance we had was 44% higher than the peak day before Christmas. Wow! Um, so, yeah, really, really intense. Um, and I think we were so focused on delivering a service and the collaboration we had with our customers was fantastic, um, which I'll, I'll come back to in a second. But we... we um we were responding to that need and it then became a bit of a shock when um, when things dropped off. So we had these two weeks of, of ridiculous volumes followed by a couple of weeks of volumes that were probably 10, 15% below what we'd expect to do. Um, and then they've recovered back um, to what we're now experiencing, which is pretty steady volumes. And those volumes are um broadly in line with what we'd expect but they're much smoother um, yeah. and i think part of that's due to the collaboration that we've experienced with our, our customer base which has been like i say absolutely fantastic they um we we managed to persuade people to rationalize their number of skews we reduced um the number of small picks or, or increased the minimum pick size uh, and we questioned the frequency with, with which we were delivering to some retailers so um, all of those things, the collaboration and support, like I say, from across our customer base was fantastic. And that, that was what enabled us to do those record volumes. Um, and, uh, but now it, it's all very steady. Uh, Sundays are slightly busier than they used to be, uh, but they were always the quiet day. Uh, and the peak days are slightly quieter than they used to be. Um, so for us at the moment, it's very much about uh, planning, uh, continued protection of our colleagues. Uh, thinking about the implications of, of volumes ramping up again. Um, not so much in terms of the overall volume, but beginning to get back to, or, or getting ready to get back to standard buying patterns. Um, that said, we, we don't think that's going to be for some time. So we're anticipating this kind of metronome that we're in now to, to run for quite some time. Um, the big challenges for us and the industry, I think, are um, the the backlog of things that we need to do when we come back out of um, the current restrictions. So things like uh, driver CPCs, um, MOTs, et cetera, there's gonna be a backlog and how we work our way through that backlog is gonna be the next big challenge.
0: Yeah, and I think that the way that they're sort of, just on that specific point, um, so much would that answer I wanna ask about, but that that specific point about about the kind of timeframes that we've got to work to, to... Work well, through that backlog of all that compliance is, is actually quite tough because effectively you've got to be tra- you've got to have it all back up and running by sort of September October time, haven't you?
1: Yeah, I mean you can't you can't pause key activity for, for three months and, and and it may yet be longer and and then expect to catch that up really quickly um, because the. Yeah, the and just like any other market, the, um, the capacity is there to match the demand. Well, the demand's been turned off. And if you turn it back on, you can't suddenly increase the demand, uh, the capacity again. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Thanks, Zach. So just back to the very beginning of what you just said. The,
0: so, you and I, obviously, I remember you and I talking quite a lot very at the very beginning of this. And um, I was struck by, you know, sort of the kicking in of your continuity plans and your kind of sort of grip of of, of what was going on at the early stage. Do you think you do you think the business was ready for it from the Faro Welsh point of view?
1: Um, I think um we we had a, a, a few advantages over other people. Um we we import an awful lot from places like Spain and Italy. Yeah. Um so we were getting first-hand information from uh Spain and Italy very early on. Um so, so that helped us. Uh my team and I have worked together um, for well, a, a good chunk of us for for ten years. Uh, all of us for at least four years. Um, and that, as a team, our ability to to therefore work remotely from one another uh, and, and almost intuitively know what w- which bits each of us is looking at is um, is a real strength for us. So, so that helped. Um, Yeah, so so I think it's probably those two things, really. Um, I think the other thing about our business is that we um, regularly have to react to weather changes. So an awful lot of the product we distribute is short shelf life and um, quite, quite different from longer shelf life products. You can see barbecue food as an example. When the sun comes out, we can see demand jump overnight from certain suppliers with very little warning um and the business is therefore well grounded in reacting and responding quickly. Um, and I think that core of what our product is and, and what our service offering is has helped as well. Um, so so I, I think it's a combination of those things. Yeah.
0: Um, what one thing one thing that you in mean, well, how you describe the situation for you that's I think different to some of the other sort of companies in the sector is the fact that your sort of volumes have stayed pretty consistent well high and then consistent through through the period i can see a lot that have that have seen that 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 volume um drop off yeah. um, do you i think did you well one thing i recognized is that i think that dealing with lo- large demand is almost what logistics professionals and businesses are set up to do you know get you that's the crisis you want in a way you want you want you want to be able to get you know you want you want to basically use your skills to get stuff out the door how do you cope do you think how do businesses what's your advice for companies that are that are struggling to actually meet their volume. You know, haven't got enough volume, haven't got enough work to get stuff out of the door, and, and, and keep them sort of business viable. How do you see those businesses surviving this this period?
1: Um, I, I think you know, there's, there's I'll probably get the old adage wrong, but there's the old <laughs> adage that um, you, you should cut. Um, m- most people cut too slow and not deep enough. Yeah, um, and I think people need to look to pull the levers they can pull as quickly as possible. Um, and, and I think it's incumbent on people leading businesses to make sure that they they use everything that's at their disposal. Um, you know, whether you have a need for a, a government loan or not, you should be taking steps to take one out if you're able to. Um, furloughing is, is something that we've 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 done. Um, so there are roles that um, quite clearly can't be performed. Um, by individuals at the moment, you know, one-to-one training being a great example. Um, And so we are, we have furloughed people, um, we've protected people's pay. Um, But again, we we took the decision to do that early on, despite how we were trading. And I think that's what businesses need to do. They need to look at all the levers they can pull. Um, I think you need to be transparent with your customers and your suppliers. Um, I think one of the things that has, Overwhelmed me at times has been the willingness of people to help. Yeah, um, I didn't have one customer say no when we said, "Look, we need to look at ways of rationalising demand in order to meet demand." Um, you know, we need to simplify the job that we're doing for you, and the support we had from our customer base was fantastic. Um, so I think be willing to ask, yeah. um, be transparent with your suppliers and, and with your customers, um, but but take. know take the tough decisions and take them quickly and and take them um early um again i've I've spoken spent a huge amount of time the last eight weeks talking to customers and overwhelmingly people have generally been supportive of um of businesses having to take decisions uh and and i think you know don't worry about people's reactions you have to you have to look after your business and to do that you have to make tough decisions and um but people will understand that
0: do you think the the sort of experience of the relationships you've had over the last few weeks are, is going to have a legacy and and going to last that sort of positive interaction between yourself and the customer base do you, do you think it will last
1: um i, I certainly hope so um, <laughs> I, I also like to think shane we had a reasonable relationship with our customers before this of um, <laughs> but uh no i i think the uh i think absolutely we will we'll, we'll we're we're hoping that some of the behaviours stick. Um, And and people have learned, you know, that people learn from this as well, you know, um, why are we doing some of the silly things we do? Um, You know, the retailers are are quite clearly stopping and thinking to themselves, why is it that we've got the range of products that we've got? Why is it that we're providing 24-hour opening of of stores when, you know, frankly, it's not necessary? Um, So, I think there will undoubtedly be changes that stick um, and it's about choosing the right ones for the right reasons. Um, I, I think we're, yeah. we're all being forced to go back to a slightly simpler life. And yeah, I, I saw some, some stats around how many symbols people normally shop in um, and how frequently they shop. Well, yeah, normally people shopping in, I, th- I think the average is 3.8 symbols a week. Um, and doing multiple shops, well, we're now moving to people are doing one shop a week again, you know, going back yep. 10 years. Dave Lewis has spoken quite uh, op- openly about that. Um, but also sticking to a single retailer. Um, so that, you know, th- there's an awful lot that I think will stick uh, and only time will tell how much. But I think it's also going to uh, heavily be linked to how long restrictions um, are in place yeah. and how um, those restrictions or not, not so much the restrictions. How uh, well we actually find ways of tackling um, this virus. You know, are we yeah. going to get a vaccine? That's going to matter. If the answer is no, then how we learn to live with it will be very different than if we get a vaccine that's proven to to work. You know, I don't think they fully understand antibodies yet. Um, if if you build up resilience to this, um, and you've had it, then it's going to be a very different world than if you don't build up and and retain resilience so there's an awful lot of unknowns um, at the moment and um, yeah time will tell.
0: Just one more question on Covid before I move on Um, it's about people really and one thing that's been striking is that the level of absenteeism didn't hit the levels that we thought it did or certainly hasn't yet So shouldn't shouldn't anyone be complacent Um, particularly within transport and logistics why do you think that is?
1: Um I, I think um I think there's a number of things. Um I've not seen stats from other industries, so it'd be wrong mm. for me to, to draw any parallels with other in- industries. Um we've seen hotspots uh which match in the geographical hotspots. Um and those hotspots are um, are uh, I think the highest we had was about eleven percent. Um so I think it'll be, it'd it be wrong to say that we haven't seen some fairly significant absence. Um, but I think it's like all industries and all people in the time of a crisis, it brings out the best in people. And I think um, an awful lot of people have have, have cracked on and, and seen it as an opportunity to, to give something back to society. You know, I've, I've, um, I really do believe that. Um, and, and what what's also been lovely, I mean, there's, there's one driver we've got in one of our sites. He's um, quite a militant chap uh, and, and always quite happy to criticise everything that everybody does. Um, and he actually stopped the general manager of that site and said to him, how are you? Yeah, how are you coping? Because I recognise with your responsibility and having to do all the things you need to do and this huge volume that we were dealing with in the first couple of weeks, how are you? And to hear a story of a driver... Um, who's normally quite a militant and difficult character, yeah. asking the, his general manager if he's all right, was yeah, just kind of typified the way that people have yeah. um, responded and, and stepped up. Um, so um, yeah, I, I think it's it's difficult to answer Shane because I haven't seen uh, the parallels with with other um, sectors. Um, but yeah, 10, 11%, that's a significant amount of absence. Um, it was only one site and it was only for you know, a couple of weeks. Um, uh, I think the other thing I would say is um, we haven't yet. Um, one of the things that we're thinking about as a team is the autumn and winter. Um, so we're planning at the moment for um, a 20% absence rate in any one site um, through the winter uh, because. If we do not get vaccines in place um, and the similarity between some cold and flu symptoms and those of COVID-19, we're expecting it to be a difficult winter. Um, So we actually think the time of year has helped, um, but clearly this winter could be a very challenging time.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, totally. I think it's, it's, it is very. I think we'll we'll look back and work out what the issues were in terms of the behaviours of people and what and, and and the and the spread of the epidemic and what it meant for for infection rates and stuff. But I do think I resonate. What you said resonates with me. This idea that people stepped up. This idea, you know, there's a lot of talk of the essential worker and stuff, but I think people have internalised that in this time. And I think across the supply chain, we've seen people just want to get on and do stuff, feel useful, and do and and play their part, which I'm really, really proud of. Um, Can I, can we take a step back now and can I ask you about your career? Um, How did you find your way into logistics and specifically into cold chain?
1: Um, uh, The answer to to both is luck. Um, So I uh, I did an engineering degree and uh, I think one of the key things I learned from my engineering degree was I was not an engineer. Um, So when I finished university, I I was keen to find um, a general management uh, graduate scheme. Um, the first one that I was offered uh, of the ones that I applied for was with Excel uh, Logistics which is um, now after a few different incarnations DHL um, and and the very first contract I was given was to um, as a graduate in, in my first three months was to go and deliver several thousand fair pack hampers into the in people's homes in the southwest and um, I worked for a guy called Mark Starosolski, and he was the first of many great bosses I've had. And um, I just fell in love with with, with the industry. The um, you know the fact you can be talking to you know J- Joe Average one minute and Dave Lewis from Tesco the next. You know that that range of people that I interact with, um, the different challenges of um, people and challenges of, of finance, and yeah, you know, a huge breadth. And uh yeah, I've just loved it. Um, so the first job was delivering frozen hampers um, and I guess I just kind of got stuck in temperature control food mm-hmm. and um uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. and is it is it, is it different is temperature control logistics
2: different to general logistics in, in any particular ways?
1: Um, <laughs> having literally spent my entire <laughs> career in temperature control, again, very difficult to answer um yeah. I think one of the things that always strikes me, and people often forget this, is um, distribution is incredibly diverse as, as, as an industry. And um, I know you, you've been sat on a few of the calls that I've been sat on uh, with government over the last um, couple of months. And yet you know, I'm sitting here telling you that my life's relatively easy and it's a metronome and volumes are broadly what I were them to be, Um you know, great, fantastic for me. Um, if you are a haulier who moves fuel, well, fuel sales are down 60%, um, so you're going to be in a completely different um, environment for, from the one that I'm in. And I think um, that, that plays true uh, outside of these, these extraordinary times. Each part of the distribution sector is very different and has its own nuances. I think the challenge for temperature control um, is around environment and about around temperature control. Um, processes and the important food safety um, so I think we've got our nuances but that's no different from any other sector They're, every sector's got their nuances whether it be um, you know two-man deliveries whether it be uh, handling chemicals you know that everyone's got different nuances um, so I, I don't think any's easier or harder um, you just need to know um, the important risk points within the sector that you're in.
2: Um, just b- sort of back to you, sort of your own ex- sort of experience in a way, um, the obvious question to ask in, this, in these situations is, what do you think has changed in logistics over the time that you came into industry? But that's a bit formulaic. So instead, what do you think has changed more in the time since you started out? Your outlook on how the supply, chain work, supply chains work or supply chain themselves?
1: Um, oh, that's a good question. I, th- I think it's probably supply chains themselves. Um, I think uh, I think if you look at and actually that's driven certainly within the food sector by by buying habits and by retailers. Um, and I think technology has been an enabler for that change. Um, so you know you, you've you've uh, you've seen one or two of my presentations, Shane. I think 1995 uh, some. I can't remember the exact percentage, but around fifty percent of milk was delivered to people's doorsteps. Um, leap forward now, and that's less than five percent. I can't remember the exact numbers. Um, mm-hmm. And 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 effectively, during that time, we've you know that during that twenty-five years, we've gone from having a home delivery network, which is called the Milkman. Um, it's been ripped out by the retailers, who uh, used milk as a as a commodity to compete on price and trying to trap people into the stores. Um, we've therefore seen the doorstep milk delivery not fully disappear but largely disappear and then over the last uh, five to ten years in parallel with that we've seen um, a, a growth in home delivery uh, so I think there's, there's some irony in, in all that uh, and um, I guess I've got a real belief that, that things go in, in, in circles but um, I think buying habits and the way that um technology has enabled those the various ways in which we consume has been the driver of change um i think supply chains and logistics folk have been fantastic at responding to those challenges um, so i don't know if that answers your question shane
2: it, quite, yeah i think it, i think it does it was a, it's a bit of a clever question in a way that um that, different ways i guess the um this is at that point about, and I think we, this comes back to what we just talked about, about COVID nineteen, this idea of cyclical thing. You know, we we got we got we ended up in this age of, basically, you could get whatever you want, wherever you want, whenever you want it, in every different form, and supply chain trying to meet that, and that drove in, on the face of it, a lot of inefficiency. Do you think you can do both those things, be it delivered to everything every to the consumer in any way they want, um, whenever they want it, and also have an efficient supply chain?
1: No, the two undoubtedly conflict with one another. Um, and I think the um, it's all about infrastructure uh, on the ground. If you want to be able to serve people uh, quickly uh, with small deliveries, it's a damn sight more expensive, and there's no, no way of getting away from that. Um, I think there's a huge opportunity to invest in robotics and automation to improve that. But the life cycle of these things relative to the speed of change is, is, a, is a risk to people's uh, investment. So it's very difficult for people to justify the Im- investment. Um, you know, I- Icado, uh have been going for a long time and, and I've only relatively recently been, um, I-, I guess, getting the rewards for their investment and their vision. Um,
2: but as and, a technology uh, company, not as a not really a supply chain company in a way.
1: Yeah, absolutely, it's a technology company. Um, and I think, you know, that there's part of the, the problem. We're in a sector that works on low margins. Um, and you have to invest a huge amount to in it, to, to get automation and um, robotics to work. And um, that comes at great expense. And yet we're on a low, you know, incredibly low margin businesses. Um, and actually, sadly, uh, an awful lot of our businesses in our sector, don't have strong balance sheets to support investment either. So um, so I think they're, they're, they're challenges for us undoubtedly. Um, I think the other thing that I don't think retailers um, understood well enough, um, and again, I'm, I'm going to pick on one, but it, it's not to pick on them, it runs across all of them. In broad terms, Tesco doubled their number of stores as they went for the convenience stores, et cetera, et cetera. So they doubled the number of stores they've got in the UK. At the same time as doubling the number of stores, they um, pushed home delivery. And at the same time as pushing home delivery and increasing the doubling number of stores they've got, they basically maintained the same market share. So the number of routes to market and their proliferation um, just for that one retailer has got to drive cost into their business. Um, and at the moment i don't believe the consumer is paying enough for home delivery i don't think the consumer really understands the cost of home delivery um, and i think there's there's much consolidation that needs to come yet i think it's going to require some legislation as well um, again I, I remember standing out the back of a hotel in London on a street corner with a customer and we we, we looked down a street which was probably about 200 meters long We stood there for 15 minutes and counted 16 different parcel delivery businesses in 15 minutes. Um, That is not sustainable. Um, So there there needs to be consolidation in that market. And I think the same will be true for home delivery of food.
2: Yeah. And I think this is, I think, you know, we've taken the Cold Chain Federation through a bit of a journey of change over the Mm -hmm. last year. You've done a great um, job thank you very much they uh, the the um the thing that um the thing that sort of the the organizing principle behind that is this sustainability challenge and this kind of you know what does the next 20 to 30 years of the cold chain look like and there's some there's a presumption that we can't carry on doing things the way we've done them for the last 20 to 30 years if we're going to meet this the sort of net zero carbon you know uh, new way of living kind of uh, sort of ambitions that are set out in Sort of government policy and, and general need. Um, do you have any reflection on how you think that will impact on the Fowler Welsh business over the next sort of twenty years?
1: Um, we've we're very proud of the fact that we do um, take our environmental impact very seriously, we've um, we've actually just delayed publishing our second um, or fully publishing our second uh, CSR report on on our environmental. Performance over the last twelve months, and um, it, it's written, it's available, but we haven't made a big splash about it because of COVID nineteen. Um, yep. And and that's that's because um, again, being perfectly honest, um, if you're driving carbon out of your business, you're driving cost out of your business. Yep. Um, so that the the dual benefit of providing a, a, a better environmental performance and providing a better financial performance, um, it is, you know, it's dead easy to push those things forwards. Again, there's there's investment needed, um, and that investment can take a while to pay back. Um, we're very fortunate that our shareholders have always been supportive of things that make sense in, in the short to medium term as opposed to just the short term. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: so, you know, some of the investments, some of the projects we've got going on today won't Fully deliver for uh, twelve months, eighteen months, two, three years. You know, and, and you have to look at those horizons on some of these investments. Um, uh, but I I mean,
2: should... even even that's quite short, though, isn't it, Nick? I mean, this is one of the questions that sort of sits presents to me is if we're talking about sort of net zero, super massively more efficient buildings, more efficient vehicles, the sorts of paybacks that we're talking about could be ten years. And I guess the question there is. How does the supply chain link, so particularly the, the customer, what, basically, what investment do they want to make and can they make in their sort of supply chain in order to try and be part of, of those sort of bigger game changing uh, investments? I mean, do you have a view on that?
1: I think um, we have to be brave and I think we have to be ambitious. And I think if we're brave and ambitious, we can surprise ourselves with how much we can achieve. Um, when I joined Fallow Welsh, um, the average miles per gallon. Uh, in the fleet was about 8.1. Uh, and I told my team I wanted us to have a long-term target of getting that to consistently above 10. And they all fell off the chairs and thought I was insane. Um, and, and OK, it took us eight years, but that's where we got to. And, and you have to have ambitious targets and a, and a desire to, to pursue them. Um, so I, th- I think that's important. We should be brave and ambitious. I think the second thing is that at the moment, Our customer base is too driven by cost. Um, And until the cost and corporate social responsibility um, scales are are more even, more evenly balanced, um, I don't think it's going to change as quickly as we can change it. Um, So I have yet to win a piece of business entirely due to my corporate social responsibility. Yeah, um, it's on every single tender please demonstrate your credentials uh, but almost every single time it comes down to uh, pounds, shillings and pence yeah. <laughs> if all things are equal service is equal um, so, so service and, and cost are the first two things that everybody looks at and still looks at there are very very few businesses who are putting environment above those two um, and until that changes I don't believe we're going to have the momentum to change as much as we possibly can. Um, And this is where I think there's a couple of things at play. The first is um, the people, the policymakers, people like you and I who sit and talk about these things and think about it, need to recognise that a significant proportion of the population and, and a majority of the population, if they have a choice between buying two products that are basically the same, and one's got a good environmental footprint and one's cheap they will buy the cheap one that is the necessity for most people's lives and I think until policymakers get their heads around the fact that as policymakers they can make decisions when they go shopping because they typically can afford to make decisions when they go shopping Mm. a huge proportion of the population will only make a decision based on what they like and what it costs so we have to find ways of affecting change that appeal to the masses, not just the privileged and, and, and the those who can afford to make those decisions. And I believe that quite strongly.
2: And I, and I guess, Nick, from a, from a point of view, of, you can sort of see when you're a consumer facing business and your brand is directly consumer facing, you can see some of the business case for making those sorts of investments and making that kind of proposition out there. I totally take your point that it's still not the definitive decision for the consumer either. But from a business like yours, which is one step away from consumer facing, how do you sort of stay motivated? How do you motivate the business to do that kind of stuff and achieve what you've achieved in sustainability terms?
1: Um, I think, again, it's a bit like COVID-19 because people want to do the right thing. The vast majority of people want to do the right thing. Um, And if you can demonstrate success and demonstrate progress, people want to be part of that.
2: Yeah. Okay. One last question, Nick. I'm conscious. Thank you very much for your time this morning. I just want to ask you a question about kind of industry engagement. Obviously, being an industry federation as we are, I mean, yours. You know, one thing about, like, just working with you over the last couple of years is you obviously incredibly busy in your day job. You've got a you know, massive pressure on your time, but you do carve out some of your time at least to engage with the wider industry, um, more than some of your peers certainly. Why do you
1: do that? <laughs> um. I'd, I'd like to do more, Shane, um, but, but it, it, it is you, you have to be careful not to spread yourself too thinly. I think... Yeah. Um, why do I do that? I think, one, because I, I love our industry and I'm passionate about it. Um, and secondly, because I think you can learn by talking to people. And um, it's only by, by sharing the experiences and, and seeing what other people are doing that you can you can pick up some gems. You know, it, we, we, we learn every day and uh, we only learn by keeping our ears to the ground and and listening and sharing ideas and kicking stuff around. And we're better to do that than with with industry uh, peers?
0: So that's our programme. I'm incredibly grateful to Nick for sparing us his time and being so candid about not only how his business is coping with the situation right now today, but how he sees the future. When we came up with the idea of this podcast, it was really conversations like this that I wanted to share with you all. So I hope you enjoyed it. I've just listened back to it, and I'm conscious that about halfway through, I seem to go all bad guy in a ransom movie uh, in my voice. I don't know what that is. I'm still getting used to this technology. One of the frustrations of the current situation is not being able to sit face-to-face and uh, meet with people in their their own places of work, which is what I really would like to do. Um, I'm sure you're all sharing that frustration. I hope you enjoyed the programme as I say and if you did then please consider subscribing to it via your favourite podcast app and maybe go one better and tell your friends about us. Um, We're really keen to build up as much of a following as we can for this important message. Thank you very much.